Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Thames Valley Court and Crime podcast. We've got another jam-packed episode for you today, once again featuring the biggest court and crime news from across Berkshire, Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire. That's right, this week we'll be discussing a strange trial in Bucks involving a woman who accused two library workers of being lesbian lovers, a story about a sleepy knifeman who missed his bus stop in Oxfordshire, and updates on three murder trials in Berkshire. And remember, you can find all the stories we're talking about on the Oxford Mail, Buxbury Press, Reading Chronicle, Bracknell News or Slough Observer. Just a reminder of who we are, allow us to introduce ourselves once again. I'm Tom Seward, I'm the court reporter on the Oxford Mail. I'm Wally Cyril, I'm the crime and court reporter for the Berkshire, Berkshire titles, that's the Reading Chronicle, Bracknell News, Slough Observer and Windsor Observer. And I'm George Roberts, I'm the court and crime reporter for the Bucks Free Press. So our main topic, topic of discussion this week is about an extraordinary trial in Amersham. George, give us an overview um, of what this one's about. Well, it, it's very difficult to, to summarise this in, in one or two sentences, but I'll, I'll do my best. Essentially, it's a 66-year-old woman who, who stalked two librarians at a Beaconsfield library because she thought they were having a lesbian affair and she was going to expose them. That is the... Um, that is the gist of it, and it was one of the most bizarre, entertaining, and just strange trials I think I've, I've ever been involved in. So George, who was she, and what was she charged with? Yes, yeah, so this woman, so her name was, is Louisa Carlton, and she was charged with stalking with intent to cause harm or distress. Um, two counts of that, because she stalked two librarians who worked at Bucking, uh, a Buckinghamshire library in Beaconsfield. Um, their names were Dorota Franzek Streeter, uh, she was also known as Donya, and the other one is called Lisa Taylor Pusey. Um, the trial t- took place in, in early November and it, and it came to a close not too long ago as we record this, um, but it took a lot longer than we were expecting purely because the, the woman in the dock, Louisa Carlton, went on some very, very peculiar rants and sort of um, tangents while she was giving her evidence uh, covering all sorts of strange topics like Harrods, um, Botticelli paintings, and, and other really bizarre things. How did this all start? Um, so, basically, Miss Carlton, um, she, she's uh, worth saying that she doesn't live in Bucks anymore. She lives in um, near Brighton. But she, she used to live in the area, and in sort of 2017, 2018, she was a regular visitor to Beaconsfield Library. And she said that when she used to visit, there was a librarian there who she was, it was clear, was attracted to her, and you know had had these romantic um, sort of feelings towards her, and that was um, Mrs. Franzek Streeter. She she claimed that that this librarian, whenever she, whenever Miss Carlton visited the library, she claimed that she would sort of she would always perk up. She'd look delighted. Um, she would catch her looking at her breast. I think there was one moment where she said, "Oh, she looked me up and down from my ankles, uh, from my breast all the way down to to my ankles." Apparently, she would touch her breast. You know, all kinds of bizarre things. Put on lipstick. Um, and, you know, show, show signs of jealousy when um, when Miss Carlton was served by other librarians. But this all changed when a, this second librarian, uh, Mrs. Taylor Pusey, joined the library. Um, and, I mean, the, the way Miss um, Carlton described her is just the, the ugly one, which, you know, which is really, really nasty. But she said that as soon as she joined, then... Um, 
her, the, the other librarian who had always been nice to her and, and kind and you know, romantically inclined towards her suddenly became cold and hard and they would become rude, rude to her and, and unhelpful. Um, you know, this is all her account. This is her version of the, the events that, you know, I think the other, the other librarians would disagree with this. But essentially she started to follow them and, and, and go to them because she wanted to know why. She, she, she said it was the primal question. Why, why are you treating me this way? Why, why are you essentially sort of giving me the cold shoulder? And I, I don't think she went as far as saying bullying, but you could tell that that's how she felt. She felt victimised by these two librarians and that her life was being made miserable by them. So yeah, she felt like there was this huge injustice and then that transformed into their having a lesbian affair because they whenever I see them together they, they're happy and they're smiling or they're smirking um, which you know was completely false but yeah it sort of um, snowballed from there and, and things kind of got worse and worse and worse. And did she have any evidence for her claims? So she spoke many many times about her intuition and how she had incredible intuition um, and which was able to detect that these two librarians were we're having an affair. I should, I should say now, actually, that the, it's completely disputed that, that they have had any kind of romantic relationship together. These two women uh, are both straight. They're both married to men. Um, they both, you know, live with their husbands, etc. So there's no suggestion whatsoever that they were ever together. But but um, Ms. Carlton was convinced convinced otherwise. I mean, she she came up with some really peculiar sort of stories about when she used to visit the library she would see um mrs franzek streeter um who she called donya and apparently um donya would, would look at her breasts um when when mrs Carl uh, miss carlton went to the went to the library she'd be wearing red lipstick um and she'd speak with a sort of soft gentle voice whenever she spoke to her and would even apparently look jealous when um when when Ms. Carlton was was served by other librarians in the library, so there's there's no real evidence, but just all intuited by um, by the defendant. The trial took a few days. Mm. Uh, what was the verdict at the end of the trial? The verdict was guilty. The victims were giving evidence. I could literally see the the jurors kind of nodding along, looking you know completely convinced um, of, of what they were of the decision they were going to come to. And even Miss um, Carlton, she said it herself when she was um, in the dock. She said she hasn't got a chance. She knows the, the 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 verdict, what the verdict will be. She felt like the whole thing was rigged, rigged against her from the start. And I think this is the kind of woman that that we were dealing with is a woman who sort of been, saw conspiracies everywhere, thought everybody was against her. She refused legal aid. She she represented herself, and that really didn't go well for her because she when she gave evidence it just it was a mess rambling you know going off topic she was obsessed with with the appearance of the two women constantly commenting on how they looked in on a particular day whether their skin was oily if, they, if their hair had changed if they were wearing lipstick it, it was so odd and during during her um her evidence she dis described the two the two women the two victims Ms., uh, Mrs. Franzek Streeter and Mrs. Taylor Pusey as the Polish lesbian and the unpleasant lesbian, which you know is completely completely inappropriate. And and the judge, um, Catherine Tolk, told her off about this. You know, she said, "Stop it! It's offensive and, and rude," uh, and it was. But yeah, that was kind of the the tone 
had been set and, and it stayed like that for the, for the whole trial. It's rule one of uh, trials, isn't it? Just never, never conduct your own defence, always get a lawyer. George, how long did the trial take? So it took, um, it took around a week. It, it kind of started midweek and, and ended midweek the, the following week. But I think the plan was it was only ever going to last about three days. And she had, you know, reams and reams of paper, notes with her that she was constantly shuffling around, constantly losing bits of paper, you know, critical pieces of evidence that, you know, would have, would have changed the tide of the, of the trial, she, she would have argued. But ultimately, you know, it, it was all for nothing because it was, it, was, it was clear from very early on that this is a, a very, very strange situation. And, you know, the, the victims, it was clear that the impact it had, had on them. It's kind of ironic, really, isn't it? Because it was obviously this woman who had been charged and who was standing trial. But you know, in, in from from what you're saying, George, it sounds like it's the, the two victims who have faced a lot of um, uh, un- unpleasant accusations in court themselves, and it's almost like they're on trial. Um, was there a punishment for for the woman after the guilty verdict? So there was a punishment, but it was it was very lenient, I suppose is the way I describe it. So she was given restraining orders against these these two victims, which you know makes complete sense because she had literally been following them, um, hurling abuse at them, um, you know, kind of hiding behind things in the street as she followed them. You know, she was. The court heard how she had been taking photos, visited their houses and, and their streets. Um, so I think it's only right that, that she was giving a restraining order against them both. But otherwise, that that's kind of it. There was um, no 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 prison, which you know maybe that's fair enough. Um, maybe this kind of situation with a, with a woman who's six, six years old, you know, it doesn't need to always need to end up behind bars. But she was given a conditional dis- discharge, which essentially means she's she escapes without further punishment unless she commits another offence in the future in which case she can come back before the courts and will be punished again but yeah Ollie, you're, you're completely right about this um, about it seeming like the victims were the ones on trial that that is kind of the the feeling that that kind of came across in the court I mean the, the accusations that that Ms Carlton was making against these women were was you know were shocking and just totally bizarre I mean there was one episode where where they were both um, in uh, Mrs. Taylor Pusey's car uh, on their about to leave kind of work, uh, you know, sort of lift sharing. And Miss um, Carlton sort of came over from, from nowhere, basically, opened the door and, and started sort of shouting and, and yelling at them and sort of standing in front of the car, trying to, trying to block them, etc. And she, Miss Carlton said that when she was, um, when she had been looking in, Miss, Mrs. Franzek Streeter's car, so this is the other woman's car, she said she saw all kinds of les- lesbian um, items, you know, if, if that can even be descri- you know, a way of describing it, anything. Um, you know, things like, um, well, <laughs> she described um, towels, handcuffs, little bottles. She said she didn't know it was in these little bottles, but they were incriminating um, hygienic materials, latex gloves. Um, and she also went on this really peculiar... Um, tangent about a, a leather, a, a sort of, not leather, sorry, a, a square. She, the only way she could describe it was a square, um, which, which was, had to be some sort of lesbian item. And she said that she'd seen this square in the toilets in Harrods, um, which, which confirmed to her that it was this kind of sexual um, 
item. It, you know, it was really bizarre. And she said, you know, during her evidence that the truth will come out one day. She was the victim. You know, she she was um, she was innocent, and it was the other two that that, that were um, that were ganging up on her and, and bullying her because that that is kind of why she said she did what she did. She's followed them and and went to the car because she wanted to know why they were treating her um, well, in an, in an unfriendly manner, um, which you know. I think you can kind of understand from what you what you've heard why that they were whether they, they were cool cool towards her um, having to deal with her and that kind of behaviour in the library kind of pretty regularly. The aggravated version of stalking that charge carries a maximum penalty of ten years imprisonment when it's when it's dealt with at the Crown Court. So a conditional discharge it, it is very very lenient in that context. Yeah, that that's true, and I mean the obviously the the upper boundaries of, of that. Um, of that offence, of that charge is stalking with, with intent to cause harm, and I don't think it was ever thought that she was intending to cause harm, but she was causing distress. So I guess that word, that sort of um, diminishes it a little bit. But yeah, you're right. Conditional discharge is basically the best case scenario for the um, for the accused. So I think she she can't really complain with the sentence there. We now move on to the next part of the podcast where we touch upon some of the lighter stories we've been working on recently. So I'll go first. Uh, Last week I came across a court filing which showed that a Reading FC player had been caught speeding in Exeter. Uh, The player is Jocko Anderson. He's an Icelandic goalkeeper who signed for Reading in 2018. He's only 20 years old. He's He's a young lad who's I think seen as a bit of a, an up-and-comer in the Reading FC ranks. Uh, he's currently on loan to uh, Morecambe FC in, in Lancaster. Uh, and prior to this, he was on loan at Exeter City in Devon, uh, an unloading spell in January 2021. Where was, he, um, where was he caught speeding? Was it in Reading? No, so it was actually whilst he was on loan at Exeter, uh, he was caught speeding on, I think it was an A road, if I remember correctly, in Exeter in January 2021. Um, he was caught speeding on a 30 mile per hour road. Uh, unfortunately, in the court file, it didn't say how fast he was going, but it did say that uh, Anderson was driving a 2019 Mercedes-Benz C200. That's a C-class Mercedes. Uh, and I did a little bit of research, and, and these cars typically cost upwards of £20,000, according to used car sites like Autotrader. So what's going to happen next, Ollie? Anderson's actually been asked to appear in court again. Uh, in the initial hearing, he pleaded guilty based on a single justice procedure, which means cases involving adults charged with minor offences like this can be dealt with by a single magistrate on the basis that the papers alone, without either party having to be that the papers alone will, will uh, account for the guilty plea. Um, despite this, the, uh, the youngster is, has been told to appear at Avon and Somerset Maastricht's court on December 21 for an undisclosed request from his defence counsel on the court file. I didn't say why he would be appearing uh, in court again next month. Um, but yeah, he, he, he's a young lad, so he's only 20. Um, I think when I when I put my uh, story out online, I said Reading FC star told to appear in court, but um, I think a few of the Royals fans disagreed with me, saying he's he's not quite a star yet. He's he's still getting there, um, but yeah, he's uh, he's been a little bit of trouble, and uh, hopefully he can put this behind him and uh, move on to bigger and better things with Reading in the future. 
So one of my kind of more unfortunate stories this week, well, unfortunate for, for this guy, uh, this drug dealer, is that his sentence has been extended um, because he, he was driving dangerously. Basically, um, a few weeks ago, th- this guy, Mohammed Asif, uh, he, uh, he's a drug dealer and then he was uh, jailed um, for nearly five years, four years and ten months um, because he was caught with nearly £100,000 worth of drugs. Um, he's from High Wycombe, but these drugs were sort of discovered in Maidenhead. He'd been stashing them in a, in a vulnerable person's flat. Um, so, you know, already he was already down. He just got four years and, and ten, ten months in prison. But uh, to add insult to injury, he was been brought before the court again, um, just just weeks, well, days even after he received this original sentence and given another 12 weeks in prison because he's been, he was driving dangerously. And uh, was this, did this come from a trial, this, uh, this extension? So it was, um, no, he actually admitted to doing it and it all sort of was, was taken care of at magistrate's court. Um, but basically what happened was um, in, in November last year, November 2020, he, he was driving around in, in a Mercedes as well. <laughs> Maybe it's something about Mercedes drivers this week. Um, but kind of officers wanted to pull him over. He didn't pull over. Instead, he started driving like a bit of a madman, you know, going on the pavement, going you know way over the speed limit um you know driving you know in a residential area as well you know being really dangerous um and actually escaped police um and you know <laughs> eventually the law caught up to him and, and now we all know what what you know what his fate is but yeah i feel like he's probably not had a very good um good couple of weeks um going from you know having hundred thousand pounds worth of um of drugs to his name, you know, probably feeling like he was a pretty successful businessman, <laughs> um, you know, obviously an unlawful businessman, but then, then going to, you know, going stuck in prison and then insult to injury with the extra, extra additional sentence, which has been added to, to, his, um, to his current sentence. Let me run a scenario past you two. You're, um, you know you're wanted on an arrest warrant that's been issued by the court for uh, possession of a flick knife and, and that flick knife was only found because you called 999 to uh, report that you'd been robbed having taken out 50 quid to buy some cannabis and then had your weed dealers rob you. So you know you're wanted on a warrant, you decide that you're going to go to the police station which is on the outskirts of town, you get on the bus, what's the one thing that you probably don't do? I don't know, Tom, fall asleep on the bus maybe? Fall asleep on the bus, yeah, precisely. So there's um, a, a bloke called Alroy Stroud, who's from Swindon, and um, he had a warrant issued for his arrest in October after he left the magistrate's court when his legs started hurting. And um, he knew he was wanted on warrant, so he gets on the bus in Swindon Town Centre. The police station in Swindon's on the outskirts of town, and he managed to fall asleep and rather than get off at the Swindon police station stop, he, he stayed on the bus and then woke up in Oxford. And he walked down to the Oxford police station, which is uh, in St Aldates, and Thames Valley Police, rather than driving all the way back down to Swindon, which is about 30 miles, um, which they could have done, and made it Wiltshire Police's problem, they kept him in overnight at Abingdon and, and produced, him, produced him the next day. I think... Poor old Mr Stroud was then sent back to Swindon, so presumably he's had to get the, the bus back, so goodness knows if he was able to stay awake for, for that. But just feel like um, all, all of that trouble just because he fell asleep on the bus. He could have, could have spared himself a night in the cells, but, but there we go. So we'll find out what, what happened to um, Mr Stroud in, in December, which is when he's due before Swindon Magistrates Court. He pleaded guilty to possession of an offensive weapon, and it's an offensive weapon because it was a flick knife and you were... Um, 
you're not allowed flip knives, they're just straight up illegal, um, as opposed to a kitchen knife, which you're not allowed um, if you don't have a reasonable excuse to have it. So what was he, why was he trying to go to the police station? Was he trying to hand himself in? He was trying to hand himself in, yeah. Oh dear. And he couldn't even do that right. He couldn't even do that right. He had the right intention, um, just very poorly executed. You hear about all sorts of reasons why people end up in, in custody, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a new one on me, falling asleep on a bus. I mean, in fairness to Mr Stroud, he did significantly better than uh, an, another man who was in court this month called Simon Levy, who couldn't even turn up to court. Nobody's seen hide nor hair of him in January. Bearing in mind that he's a, a fraudster, uh, I think what the judge called a career con man, um, who's got convictions on both sides of the Atlantic for fraud, it's perhaps not a surprise that he failed to turn up for um, for court and, in fact, has been out of touch with everybody, including his own lawyers, since January. Now move on to the final part of the podcast where we preview some of the cases we've got coming up in our respective courts. In Reading Crown Court, I've got three murder trials happening at the same time at the moment. So in the next few weeks, we're expecting verdicts in each of them uh, as the trials are expected to last three to four weeks in each trial. Uh, and I think most of them are on week, week two or week three by now. Uh, so I'll just run you through those. So the first trial that started at the beginning of last week, uh, we're recording this November the 11th, uh, that is a murder trial after a man named Yannick Capito was fatally stabbed in Cowsham in Reading in February of this year, February 14th, actually Valentine's Day. Uh, one man, O'Neill Joseph, 28, of Amersham Road, uh, is charged with murder. He denies the charge. And another man, Reese Weatherburn, 22, of Naya Road in Cavisham, is charged with two counts of assisting an offender. Uh, the court heard at the start of that trial that uh, Yannick Capito, the, the deceased, uh, played a prank on on O'Neill Joseph and uh, Reese Weatherburn's girlfriend, uh, alleging that Reese Weatherburn had been arrested. Uh, from there, it spiralled into... Uh, an argument between O'Neill Joseph and Yannick Capide. Uh, O'Neill Joseph intercepted uh, Yannick Capide on his way home to his mum's house in Caversham. Uh, and as CCTV showed uh, during the opening stages of the trial, um, they had an altercation and, and Yannick Capide was, was uh, stabbed in the chest. He tragically died a few minutes later uh, when he was found. And he was found on the ground by a member of the public um, and was pronounced dead officially an hour later. That's what the court has heard so far, that's what the jury's heard. Um, as I said, both defendants deny the charges against them and that trial is currently in its second week. Uh, the second murder trial to get underway is one in Newbury. Uh, it's, a, it's a story from Newbury, I should say. Um, that involves two defendants, James Lawson and Chantel Stroud, who have both been charged in connection with the death of a one-month-old baby, Colby Lawson, who died after uh, suffering um, multiple injuries uh, from head to toe, uh, including a skull fracture um, in May 2020. The prosecution alleged that James Lawson, who's 28 and formerly of Boreham Field in Wiltshire, uh, shook Colby Lawson uh, in the minutes or hours before his death um, early in the morning of 
May the 9th in 2020. Um, and Stroud, Chantel Stroud, 25, who lives in Newtown Road in Newbury, has been accused of causing or allowing the death of a person under the age of 18. Prosecution said that she allowed the death of her son, Colby Lawson, by allowing James Lawson to stay in her house, uh, despite them having a volatile relationship and despite him being a risk to both her and to Colby Lawson uh, after a series of incidents where he, he allegedly uh, abused or attacked, assaulted uh, Colby in the lead up to his death. Uh, that trial is also in its second week. Um, we believe that one is, is expected to run for about three weeks, so a jury might be sent out at the end of, end of next week and then uh, maybe get a verdict on that uh, the, the week after that. But we will keep you up to date on Reading Chronicle if you want to follow that one. The third murder trial uh, involved is a case where a man named Raheem Hanif was fatally stabbed in Tilehurst also in February of this year, February 6th, 2021 to be precise. Uh, four men are on trial charged with Raheem Hanif's murder. They are Abbas Khan, 23, of Helmsdale Close from Reading, Humza Sikander, 18, of Brunel Road from Reading, and two 17-year-olds from Reading, who we can't name for legal reasons, have also been charged with murder. All four defendants have also been charged with grievous bodily harm because in the incident where Raheem Hanif tragically died, uh, the four defendants allegedly um, boxed in Raheem Hanif and his father Abdul Hanif in a car park just metres from where Raheem Hanif lived, uh, boxed him in in their Range Rover, got out of the car with a machete and a baseball bat. Uh, one of the defendants um, attacked Abdul Hanif uh, through his window and broke his arm, uh, hence the um, grievous bodily harm charges and the uh, older 17 year old who again we can't name uh, allegedly stabbed Raheem Hanif through the window of uh, the passenger side of the van that they were in. Uh, that trial got underway at the start of this week uh, is because it's a, a multi-hander is expected to last a little bit longer um, so we expect a verdict might come in perhaps uh, four or five weeks time if uh, if if, if, if everything goes to plan in the trial. Audrey, just how, how do you find it? Does it affect you covering that much death? Because that's, that's a large amount of murder and particularly something like the, the death of a child, I've always found a really difficult case to cover. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we discussed in the first podcast we did, me and George, we discussed the... Uh, murder of Ollie Stevens, who was only 13 when he was stabbed to death in Caversham in Reading um, back at the start of this year. Uh, and like you say, it is, it is very tough to, to, um, to, to write about and to listen to whilst you're in court, um, and particularly when it's, when it's young people. Like, um, you know, we've had a, a one-month-old um, allegedly murdered here, and we've had um, a 24-year-old and a 26-year-old. Like, obviously, they're... A lot of difference between 24 and 26 and one month old but these are still young men who've who've tragically lost their lives um and and you get the sense you know looking at the families in the public gallery that um you know this is just been an absolutely horrible experience for them and and you know no matter what we as journalists go through listening to these trials you also think 
you must think it's it's a hundred times, a thousand times worse for, for the families in the public gallery having to listen to how their loved ones died. Um, it, it is tough, but um, at the end of the day, that's that's kind of why we're there to to be the eyes and ears for the public in the courtroom, and um, you know to, to to show that justice is being done through through these proper trials, and, and um, you know by reporting what's going on, we can um, hopefully bring some closure to to. Uh, the families and to the wider community. Coming up in Buckinghamshire, probably one of the, the, the biggest things I'll be working on in the near future is the, the sentencing of a guy called Murtaza Ahmed. Uh, he's a 69-year-old man who stabbed a shopkeeper over the way he was displaying Islamic pictures in his shop. Uh, so, so Mr. Ahmed, he, he's a Muslim and he took really serious offence with um, the way the shopkeeper, a guy called Sharon Singh, um, in, 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 um, in High Wycombe, the, the shop is called CM Communications and it's in the, um, the Chilterns shopping, uh, shopping centre. He basically took a lot of offence to the way he was displaying these kind of Islamic pictures. Basically, Mr Ahmed thought that the shopkeeper was displaying them inappropriately, displaying them upside down, too close to the floor. Um, he even made accusations that they were uh, near pictures of um, sort of inappropriate pictures of, of scantily clad women, which uh, was denied by the shopkeeper. He said he didn't have anything like that in his shop. Um, but yeah, basically, because he took issue with this, he stabbed the shopkeeper in the shoulder, which is, you know, seems like a bit of an overreaction. Um, but he was found guilty um, a few weeks ago in court and he's due to be sentenced at the end of this month. He was found guilty of wounding with intent to cause grievous bodily harm. He had already admitted um, to a charge of wounding, so he, he never denied that he stabbed him. He just said that he wasn't trying to do him serious harm. Um, the jury disagreed. Um, it's worth saying that the, the injury itself was a stab to the shoulder. It only penetrated by sort of three or four centimetres. He, he sort of stabbed him with a kitchen knife, which he t- brought from home. Um, but yeah, he didn't really do serious damage. The, the, the victim was back at work after a few days. Unfortunately, he didn't come to serious harm. But yeah, he, he was found guilty of wounding with intentical GBH and he'll be sentenced, probably get a, um, a custodial sentence when he is sentenced at the end of the month. And George, there's a, um, a picture on the Buxbury Press of, of the knife in the attack. Um, you know, that's that's a, a huge knife, isn't it's, it? It's a big one, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's well over a foot long. Um, the, the blade itself is probably about 20 centimetres, but you know, it's your classic big kitchen knife kind of knife. Um, yeah, he had it in his bag. He brought it to the shop. I mean, Mr. Ahmed had been um, harassing the shopkeeper for some time, asking him constantly to, to make changes. And, and the shopkeeper himself had said that he'd asked other people um, it, from, from the mosque if that he was doing things fine. And they said, yes, it was fine. So it was just Mr. Ahmed who was, um, who was having issues with this. And yeah, he took took things into his own hand and... Yeah, he, he's always claimed that he wasn't trying to kill him, wasn't trying to do serious harm. He said he's not stupid, I was just trying to warn him. So um, in Oxfordshire, I think there are two, two things just to flag, really. Um, one, we're expecting in early December um, Lewis Brown to come into court for a plea hearing. Um, Mr Brown, who's 20, is accused of fatally stabbing Lee Butler um, in an area of Oxford called Barton, which we talked about in the previous podcast. Um, Mr Brown's charged with murder and also um, possession of a knife. Um, second case is a really interesting one, and, and I'd never come across it before. Earlier this year, um, 
as a Conservative Party candidate for the Police and Crime Commissioner election in, in Wiltshire called Jonathan Seed. Um, he said on um, his, his papers, putting his name forward for election, that he didn't have any previous convictions that would disqualify him from acting as Police and Crime Commissioner. And a Police and Crime Commissioner is essentially responsible for, for setting, to a certain extent, the priorities of, of uh, a local police force. What Mr Seed failed to realise, he says, is that um, a previous conviction for, for drink driving um, disqualified him from the role. Now that only came out after the election, um, which he won in May, uh, and the election had to be rerun uh, over the summer, and the the Conservative candidate, Michael Philip Wilkinson, won. And Mr. Mr. Seed's been charged with uh, breaking election law, essentially, um, election fraud, and he'll be in the Crown Court uh, later this month, mid-November. Um, he's only here because in the Magistrates Court he pleaded not guilty and elected a trial by jury, so we're expecting that to go to a jury trial next year. It should be a really interesting case and um, potentially we'll find out quite a lot about what went on internally um, both in the Conservative Party in Wiltshire but potentially um, in Conservative Party HQ as well. But it's it's never happened before a case of, of this type um, and so so it should be should be quite interesting. Tom, what what is his case? Like is he because he's obviously not denying that he that he did this drink driving. So is he saying that he just honestly didn't think it would that it was wrong to to have this previous conviction and run for the role? The um, the truth is, I, I I don't know exactly, and I'd be slightly nervous about saying anything about it now, as it is it's an active case and, it, and it's going to a, a jury trial. Certainly, he's he's very vehement in his plea of not guilty. In the magistrate's court, he appeared via video link um, from his what I understand to be his home, in fact his conservatory, um, and he was over video link after uh, as his lawyer told the chief magistrate who was parachuted in from London to hear the case at Oxford Max. Um, his lawyer said that he, had, he Jonathan Seed, had been at a, a horse eventing event on the continent and had been slightly concerned about coming back, being able to get back in time, and thanked the chief magistrate for um, allowing his client to appear via video link from home. It's fair to say, and I don't think it would cause any prejudice to the case, say that the chief magistrate was perhaps not best pleased with that explanation. So we'll see in mid-November, um, uh, we'll find out a little bit more about what, what his defence is and, and, and hopefully see him at Oxford Crown Court in person. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening and please join us again on our next one. For now, it's goodbye from me, Ollie. Goodbye. Goodbye from George. See ya. And goodbye from Tom. Cheers.